All right. I'm sure we'll be able to make it through this particular sermon. I'm going to grab a little of water. And, of course, I've been using throat lozenges for several days. And you know the worst thing about the throat lozenges that you eat? Got all that menthol in it. Makes your coffee taste terrible. <laughs> I still drink a lot of coffee, but it tastes terrible. I'm looking forward to not having to use those things just to get back to a nice, hot, black cup of coffee. Amen. Well, we have lots and lots of people that are suffering through this thing. I just found out, uh, Linda told me that Chelsea woke up this morning with a nice sore throat, so I know what's going to happen to her for the rest of the day in the next couple of days. But lots of people that are facing this. As a matter of fact, Tiffany, your daughter, faced this about, what, uh, two or three weeks ago and wound up in the hospital, right? But she's doing well. She had a collapsed lung from coughing too much. And said, so, wow, I didn't know that could even happen. I saw that on Facebook, but she's home doing so well, in fact, that she's leaving for Germany in a couple of days for a little vacation. Praise the Lord. Good. And Terry, do I, can I have an update on Terry? How's Terry doing? Do we have Lisa, are you here? Who's here? From, he's doing all right? All the tubes are out? I have not visited him. Ever since I started coming down with a sore throat, I figured he probably didn't need this on top of a quadruple bypass. Just a thought. So, all right. I'm glad that he's doing very, very well. All right. Well, we are right now, uh, even though Christmas season has just passed, we are, are in a series that's called whoo, On the Road to Easter. Because, yeah, I know we're, Easter's actually a little earlier this year, it's the last Sunday in March. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the book of Mark, particularly the last nine chapters, because Mark is 16 chapters long, first eight chapters deal with a question, then the next nine. We're going to be walking with Jesus in these last nine chapters that'll take us right to Easter Sunday. And the Gospel of Mark answers these three questions. There you go. Who is Jesus to me? It takes eight chapters to get to that one. Because remember in the book of Mark, what happens is Jesus shows up as a fully grown human being. Okay, there's no mention of his birth, there's no mention that he's, that he's God, there's nothing like that in the book of Mark. In the book of Mark, which was the first gospel written, it's the shortest one as well, Jesus just shows up and he's baptized by John and everybody begins to ask, who is this guy? Now remember, many of the people at that time knew who he was. We're talking about a little area around Nazareth and the Sea of Galilee and they, they met Jesus, they'd seen him, many of them had seen him grow up. Suddenly he shows up and begins to teach, and everybody's wondering, really, who is this guy? It takes eight chapters to answer that question, and it's answered in a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's one of the highest places in, in Israel, or the northern place that, that Jesus actually preached. He finally looks at the disciples, and he says, okay, who do people say that I am? And they give lots of answers, and then he says, but who am I to you? Which is a key question. It doesn't matter who he is to me or who he is to any, it's who he is to you. It's a question that God will always, always ask every single human being. Who am I to you? And Peter says, you are the Christ. Eight chapters, how many years it took of, of teaching and preaching and ministry before one of the disciples finally said, yeah, we got it. You are the Christ, the chosen one of God, which is what the word Christ means. It means Messiah, chosen. And Jesus says... You got it. There it is. Now, the other two questions that are going to be answered in the book of Mark are what is his purpose? Because that they didn't quite get. And then the second question is what does he want me to do? It's going to take the next nine chapters for him to answer that. Now, actually, he's already kind of summarized it. He summarized it as soon as Peter said, you are the Christ. Jesus said, okay, now let me tell you what's going to happen. And he said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to rise from the... But that's not what Peter wanted to hear, see? So he pulls, Peter pulls Jesus aside, you can see him with his little arm around his shoulder, and now, oh, now, Jesus, you know, you know that's not going to happen. 
That's not what happens to the Christ. And what does Jesus say to him? Remember what I told you? Jesus looks at him and says, get thee behind me, which is the equivalent of saying to Peter, Peter, go to hell. Now, imagine Peter built up. Ah, you got it. I'm the Christ. You answered it. And then, the very next statement. He says, now you, Peter, you're not thinking the things of God. You're following the path of Satan. And then Jesus says, this is what's going to happen to me. To sum it all up, now here's what, here's what we learned last week. This is what Jesus came to do and what he wants for us to do. And here it is right here. Jesus came to give his life away for the sake of others and then receive it back. We call that the resurrection. He came to give his life away. That isn't just the cross. That's his entire life. He came, he walked this earth, he taught, he revealed God, then he died for us and for our sins. He received his life back in the resurrection. This is what he came to do. What does he want me to do? Right here. And he calls me to give my life away for the sake of others and then receive it back. Same thing. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to die on the cross for other people's sins. We can't do that. We're not a sacrifice. But Jesus is going to show us time and time again over the next nine chapters. What I want you to do is give your life away. Give it to me, not for your own sake, but for the sake of others. I'm going to use you to really build the kingdom of God. And I will give your life right back to you. We call it abundant life and eternal life. Give me your life not so that you can be rich or healthy, because I can't promise either of those things, Jesus says. Give me your life that we can use for the sake of others, and I will give it right back to you. And we call that eternal life. So that just summarizes what we did last week in the first eight chapters. Here we are. We're ready to go right into chapter 9, the road to Easter. Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 29. We're calling this Keeping Jesus the Main Thing. Where is, uh, is Mike still in this room? He was a singer there for a second. Sometimes, oh, there you are, Mike, okay. Mike probably remembers, many of you also remember, that on March 7th, 2004, the first sermon I ever preached as your pastor, coming up on 12 years, that's amazing, isn't it? I preached a sermon and I told you something. Mike, what did I tell you? Do you remember? This is what I told you right here. The main thing is keeping the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus. That is the very key of walking with Jesus Christ. Now what's funny about that is many of you remember that from 12 years ago. You can't remember what I said last month, right? No. Something about Christmas, but you have no idea. But you remember that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I wish every sermon could be like that, but there it is. The main thing is keeping the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus. This whole chapter, 30 verses of it anyway, is Jesus saying, now let me show you how to keep me the main thing. Ready? Here we go. And we start with what's called the transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took Peter. Now, okay, remember, Caesarea Philippi, you're the Christ, Jesus said, I'm going to die, raised from the dead. No, you're not. Boom. Confrontation. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them to a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, tabernacles, little uh, uh, 
sanctuaries, if you will, prayer shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because this is, this is a neat thing. I mean, here's Jesus and Moses and Elijah. These are the two most famous prophets. And here's Jesus. And they're all on equal footing. It's wonderful. So we're going to put up three tabernacles, three, three buildings, three prayer chapels. One for you, Jesus, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. We move on. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. Let's stop right there. Um, some of us, when we don't know what to say, you know what we do? We keep our mouth shut. Some of us, when we don't know what to say, open mouth and insert foot, right? That's some of, if you're that way, then you're Peter. Because Peter just should have kept his mouth shut. He didn't know what to say. So why are you saying anything, Peter? Because probably what you're going to say is really dumb. And what he said was really dumb. And I'll explain why in just a moment. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. You get this picture? Jesus, Moses, Elijah, dazzling white. Whoa. And the voice says, okay, this is my son. Listen to him. Be very important in just a moment. Suddenly, when they looked around, they were no longer they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing rising what rising from the dead. See, they still didn't get it. They won't get it. They won't get it until it actually happens. That's how dense these people were. I'd probably be the same way, but that's just the way it is. They will never get it until they actually see him rise from the dead. Like I said, when some people don't know what to say, they keep their mouth shut. That's very wise. Some of us are not that way. And so we say stupid things. But in his defense, you have to remember that, uh, that these two prophets that they had just seen, Moses and Elijah, were the, the super prophets of the Hebrew faith. Okay, These were incredible. These were, there were so many other prophets and people, David and Abraham and all that, but we're talking about the superstars of the Hebrew faith. We're talking about Moses, who actually wrote the first five books of the Bible, talked with God face to face, and Elijah, who was the one who led them through one of the most difficult times, performed incredible miracles. As a matter of fact, if you follow the life of Elijah and you lay it aside the life of Jesus, the miracles are incredibly similar that Elijah did in the name of God. And both of these, or all of these disciples could have easily seen, understood, and been in awe of these two. Amazing! And so, in the face of that kind of presence and miracle, yeah, I, I could understand Peter saying something stupid. They're in the presence of two of the superstars of the Hebrew faith. But then the voice rings out. What did the voice say? What did the voice say? You tell me. This is my son, but what else? Listen to him. Oh, okay, so I have my choice. I've got Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, and I want to treat them all the same. I'm going to build them a little village, a little, a little building, a little chapel for each one of them. And God comes back and says, no. Listen to him. And boom, what happens to the other two? Gone. Who's left? There it is. That's it. First step in making Jesus the very center of your life. Are you ready? Here it is. The past is the past. Let it go. Sing with me. Let it go, let it go. I almost put that in there somewhere, yeah. Boy, that, that movie has just ruined that whole phrase, hasn't it? Anyway, the past is the past. Let it go. Okay, Moses and Elijah are important. Let it go. 
sometimes the problem we have in making Jesus the very center of our life is we're way too tied to what happened in the past. Now, I want to let you know the past is important. Traditions and customs that tie us to another time are important. Learning from the mistakes and the successes we had in the past, that is important. But often we try to make the past not a memory, but a destination. And when we do that, Jesus can't be center. You ever say to yourself, boy, remember the good old days? You know that phrase, the good old days? Well, probably the only thing that's true about them is the days were old. I don't know how good they were. <laughs> but did you know that the Bible tells us not even to ask that question? Take a look at this passage right here. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to us. That, that was written in the good old days, by the way. That was written, what, Ecclesiastes would have been written about 1,000 B.C., 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago. God says, would you stop worrying about the old days? They weren't good. They weren't better. They're just old. See, if we get too tied to the past and the way things were, we're going to miss everything that God wants to do now and in the future. I've made many mistakes in my ministry over the years. I've been doing this for many decades, and so you're bound to make lots of mistakes. But I'll tell you, a couple of times that I did it well, I was offered a job at one time uh, for a much larger church, Deer Flat Church, as a matter of fact. I'd been on staff at Deer Flat in the, in the mid-'80s, and then I uh, went on to Fruitland, and I was pastor there, and I became superintendent. And when they were in the middle of a pastoral change, uh, I was approached and talked about maybe I should come back and be the senior pastor at Deer Flat, which was kind of fun because Deer Flat was a church of around 900 at the time. And uh, even then, which would have been, what, 2002, 2003, the salary of the senior pastor was uh, $100,000 a year back then. I don't make $100,000 a year, just, just to let you know, in case you were wondering. <laughs> but I turned it down, um, and that's nothing noble. It has nothing to do with that. It's just I knew what was really going on. See, the reason that people were approaching me from the church and wanted me to take the church is, what they were really saying is, boy, when you were here before, when you were the associate pastor and Kay Cole was our senior pastor, boy, that was a great time. We really want you to take us back to that time. And I wouldn't do it. I'm not a brilliant guy, but I'm smart enough to know the past is the past. And if I'd come, all they wanted me to do was to take them back there. And that wouldn't work. And I'm so glad that I said no. I wound up here. But even when I got here, and I met several people, bless their little hearts, love them dearly. But they began to tell me about the glory days, uh, glory days of 1990. So we're talking about 25 years ago, 26 years ago. And yes, what they were hoping I would do is take them back to those glory days. And we're not going to do that, because the past is the past. The glory days weren't all that glorious anyway. And even if we tried, it couldn't happen because in case she hadn't noticed, look around, we're all 25 years older than we were back then. <laughs> Things were different, weren't they? We're not going back. It doesn't work that way. But you get so tied to the past that it gets in the way of what God wants to do right now. Let me show you how important this is. God writes to his church in the book of Isaiah, and he says this. This is what the Lord says. He who made a, a way through the sea, 
a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and other stuff right there. What is he talking about here? What, what event is happening here? What? The parting of the Red Sea. Could you imagine a, a more incredible event in your history than the parting of the Red Sea, this miraculous time when God's people were up against it and the seas open up and they go across on dry land and when the army tries to follow them, <sighs> amazing. What an incredible miracle. Who drew out the chariots and the horses, the army and the reinforcements together and they lay there never to rise again. Move on. Next slide, please. There we go. Extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. And this is what he says to them. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Forget it. What? That was one of your greatest miracles. Yeah, I know. Stop thinking about it. You're fixed on it. You think I'm going to do that again? Don't you understand something new is coming? Why are you so fixated on something that happened in the past? It was great. It was wonderful. Let it go. Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. Write this down. This is really important. Really, really important. If Jesus Christ is going to be the center of your life, here it is, right here. No matter where I am in life, my best days are still ahead. Stop it. Stop looking at your past going, oh, I wish I... Stop it. No matter where you are in life, are you one of these people who are young and energetic and you're starting your family, you look at it and go, man, and okay, your best days are ahead. Some of us are not young or energetic, and our families are in the past. We've got grandkids. Some of us are approaching times when maybe we're slowing down. Some of us are approaching times, and actually in the middle of times, when we wake up in the morning and we hurt in places we didn't even know we had 20 years ago. I spent uh, yesterday refereeing a couple of games, and uh, there was a time in my life that to ref a basketball game would have been no problem now. It's still no problem, but I'm, I'm aware of refing the basketball game a couple hours later, where a few years ago I wouldn't have been. Now, does that mean that I'm, I'm breaking down and my, my best days are behind me? Well, I am breaking down. That's no problem. I'm getting older. No way around it. But guess what? My best days are still ahead. Okay, I may not be as healthy as I was or as young as I was. I may have trouble remembering a few things. But my best days are still ahead, even if we're in the middle of losing our health. Stop thinking that, that the best days only happen when we're young and healthy and vital and alive. Our best days, every single one of us, is still ahead of us. Take a look at this passage right here. Paul writes, and he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. And you know who, who that applies to? Everybody! In case you hadn't noticed, the mortality rate is currently 100%. Every one of us who was born will die. At some point, I told you last fall, if you live long enough, you will die from having lived long enough. Exactly, that's it. We're all getting older. That's the way it works, guys. Now, does that mean that we're, that we're, less, we're worth less and, and our best days are... Nonsense! For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is seen. Not on, on not what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal for every single one of us. I don't care how good the past was, the future is going to be better. Even if it means we're facing the very end of our life, and some people in this fellowship are, we know that. So we continue to pray for them as they face huge issues that we know already 
within the next few months. We'll take them home. Are there best days behind? Are you kidding me? The best days are ahead for every single one of us. Stop holding to the past. Stop clinging to it, saying, boy, I wish it could be like it was. God, right now, today, wants to do something incredible. And in the future, he wants to do something incredible. But some of us still hold to the past so much. Instead of making it just a memory, we've made it our destination. And when that happens, Jesus can't be center because he's not leading us back. He's leading us forward. But there was something else that happened in that little conversation, that transfiguration, and, and you, you saw it. But did you understand the significance? Jesus is the center, and to keep him being the center, I have to forget the past. Let go of it. Good days were good. Today is good. Tomorrow's going to be good. The best days are in the future. But it's another thing to listen to Jesus. Remember that phrase? God looks at Peter and James and John and says, this is my son. Listen to him. Which means I have to do this. Not only do I let go of the past, but I have to make Jesus the focus of my attention. There are so many voices in this world today clamoring for your attention. So many voices that, that want to tell you what to do and what you should be doing. It's incredible. Amazing. How do you know which ones to listen for? How do you know which ones to give your attention to? I'm going to show you right here. It's clear from the Word of God what the voice of Jesus sounds like. Now, if you didn't realize this, I'm going to give it to you clearly here. And it isn't me giving it to you. It will be the Word of God. Take a look at this passage. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, when you put that in connection with the passage that says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We look at Jesus, we focus on Jesus, and then Paul writes here and says, oh, and by the way, what I also want you to focus in on is something that's true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and praiseworthy. That's what you focus in on. Write this down, because here's how you know the voice of Jesus. The voice of Jesus is always true, noble, pure, excellent, and praiseworthy. If there's a voice speaking in your ear that is not true or noble, pure or excellent, or praiseworthy, it's not his voice. Why are you listening to it? Now let's understand the difference right here between hearing and listening. Okay, I'm going to hear lots of voices. There's no way for me to not hear lots of voices unless I just, you know, put some earmuffs over my ears and hold them down because I'm going to be yelled at. I'm going to be uh, all over the place. There's noise and voices. I see it all the time. I see it in, in, in the music. I see it in, in TV. I see it at, uh, at work. I, I hear it at home. I hear it everywhere I go. For the next almost year, we're going to be hearing it from the political ads telling us what we should be doing and how we should be voting. I can't get away from hearing these voices. doesn't mean I have to listen to it. And there's the difference. I choose who I listen to. I can't choose who I hear. 
Sometimes I hear things and it bothers me and I just, I don't like that kind of talk. I don't like the kind of language. I don't like that kind of stuff, but there's no way to not hear it. But it doesn't mean I have to listen to it. Who are you listening to? Who do you really give your attention to? Is that voice that you're listening to, is it true? Okay, maybe it is true. Is it noble? Mm. Pure? Excellent? Or is it angry? Spiteful? Vengeful? And it's not the voice of Jesus. Hear it. But don't listen. Let's move on. All right, so they've come down. And as they're coming down, uh, because uh, here was Elijah and there was Moses, and it kind of brought something to their attention because they had been told a certain thing was going to happen, and so they asked Jesus this. And they asked him, why, why did the teacher of the law say that Elijah must come first? Because they already said, hey, you're the Christ. But they'd been taught that Elijah comes first, then the Christ shows up. And now they've already said, okay, you're the Christ, but wait a minute, that doesn't fit with what we've been told. So they asked him, why did the teacher of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they've done to him everything they wished, just as is written about him. They were confused, understandably confused, because they had been told and taught that there was going to be a certain order of things that will happen, and it will look like this, and it will look like this. This will happen, then this will happen, then this will happen, clearly, and it didn't happen that way, and they can't figure out how the Messiah showed up, the Christ, without Elijah showing up. And Jesus said, but he did show up. Who's he talking about? John the Baptist. John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. Now, was he Elijah? No. He was even asked one time, are you Elijah? And John the Baptist said, no, I'm John. I'm not Elijah. See, they thought they had it all figured out. They thought that, that they knew exactly how it was that the Messiah was going to show up, and Elijah would show up, and everybody would go, oh, there's Elijah, which means the next person to show up is going to be what? The Christ. Well, God didn't really give them all the specifics of the plan. Elijah was going to show up, but maybe not quite the way they had thought, which means this, if you're going to make Jesus the center of your life, you're going to have to do this. Ready? You have to expect the unexpected. God is going to work in your life, but he's going to do so in ways that will absolutely knock your little socks right off. It will be so different. If you think you have got God all figured out, you're wrong. And you're in for a huge surprise. But even more tragically you're going to miss what God has for you because you think he's going to be coming in that door when actually he's going to be coming in that door and you won't even be ready because you're focused there that's what happened to the disciples okay we know it'll happen the Christ will show up but first Elijah will come through that door then the Christ will come through that door and suddenly Jesus shows up and they go he is the Christ but wait a minute that doesn't fit you have to expect the unexpected. Take a look at this passage. 
when God looks at his, at his people through Isaiah, he says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Remember, this is just after he said, remember that parting of the Red Sea? Oh, yeah, I want you to forget it. And then he says this, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And many people would say, no, I don't. And let me tell you why I don't. Because it's not happening the way I thought it would happen. And I'm looking over here. And you're coming over there. And I can't perceive it over there because I'm focused over here. I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Paul tried to get this across to the early church that God is going to work, but he's going to work in, in incredible ways that you would never possibly comprehend or understand. He's going to do new things among you. He's not going to be tied to the past. And what he does is going to be, he's going to do it in ways that you won't even be able to predict. He talks to the early church and he says this, Jews demand the miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we, we, we preach Christ crucified. In other words, the Jews and the Greeks all thought they had God figured out. And instead what happened was God took his son and nailed him to a cross. And nobody saw that coming. Nobody. And now as we're preaching this to the world, oh, Jesus is crucified, people are going, you're kidding me. That's not the way it's supposed to happen. God always works with these holy, wise people who are popular and they, they say wonderful things and, and you're telling me that God's going to nail his son to a cross? That's stupid. And Paul says, no, it's not stupid, but it is foolish. That's why you don't get it. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God is going to do something in your life and in my life and the life of the church and the life of the kingdom and there's no way for you to predict it and you better be ready for it. Because if you think he's always going to work in the way that he always did, you will miss it. Nobody, nobody, nobody could have seen that God would save the world through his son nailed to a tree. And yet that's what he did. That's what he did. Sometimes you know what happens? We look at the way God has worked. We look at the way God has worked in the past. We look at the way God has worked in other people's lives and we say, this is how he's going to do it for me. Here's how we'll do it in the church. Here's how I'll do it in my own life. And we're so disappointed when it doesn't happen that way. We, we even miss his solution because we're so tied up in the idea of how he's going to do it. Write this down. It's very, very important. Just because Jesus did doesn't mean that Jesus will. Because he did one thing doesn't mean he's going to do it again in exactly the same way. And let me give you some perfect examples of that. Did Jesus heal blind people in the New Testament? Nod your little heads just like this. Did he do it exactly the same way every time? Shake your little heads just like this. I can tell you three different ways that he did it. One time, blind Bartimaeus who's screaming out, Lord, heal me. Jesus said, okay, your face healed, you're gone. Boom, just like that, he's healed. But in Mark chapter 8, he comes across a man and he begins to heal him. But 
in a completely different way. He, he takes him and, and he, he heals him, but only partially. He spits in the guy's eyes. Now with Bartimaeus, he just said, okay, you're afraid. With this guy, he spits in his eye and says, okay, what do you see? He says, well, I kind of see. I see things walking around, by people, but they're kind of like trees. So Jesus prays over him this time. Takes his hands and lays on them. Takes him three times before the guy finally says, oh yeah, I got it. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man by spitting in the ground and making clay and rubbing it into his eyes. Washes off the clay, guess what? He can see. Now, which of those is an authentic healing from God? Well, all. Which is the way that, that Jesus would prefer to do it? Why did he speak the word here? Why did it take him three times here? And why did he make clay and rub it in the guy's eyes? I have no idea. All of my training and education, I can look at you and say, I haven't got a clue. Except, Jesus is going to do whatever Jesus wants to do. Now, could you imagine? Could you imagine? If somebody had been around the blind bar at Bartimaeus and, and Jesus said, your faith has healed you, boom. And then he comes to this other guy and says, let me, let me rub this clean. He says, no, 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 don't touch me, Jesus. I don't want your spit in my eyeballs. I, watch, I heard about what you did with blind Bartimaeus. He would have gone off blind because he expected it to happen in a certain way. Sometimes, unfortunately, we, we get caught in that, that mindset that says, um, well, that's not how Jesus works. Well, I can tell you this, that, that he won't sin and he won't lie. But I can't tell you exactly how he's going to work in your life. For Jesus to be center, you're going to have to give him the right to do the unexpected, to do things in your life that he's never done in anybody else's, to do things in your life in ways that he hasn't done in other people's lives. To allow things in your life that he healed in someone else's life. Some people have been miraculously healed from an addiction to cigarettes. I've spoken to them. They came forward, they prayed, and boom! They never wanted another cigarette the rest of their life. Wow. So many others struggle with that addiction for the rest of their lives. Why? Is it because they don't have enough faith? Is it because God doesn't love them? I can only tell you this. I can't tell you. I don't know why. Except I know that God works in, what do we call them? Mysterious ways. He's going to work. Give him room to work. Trust him to work. Don't put him in a box. Because I can't tell you how he's going to do it. I just know that he's going to do it. So, so far, we're okay, you've got to let go of the past. If Jesus is going to be sinner, you have to let go of the past. Stop looking behind. Stop thinking your best days are back there. They're not. Your best days are ahead. The past is the past. You let that go. You listen to Jesus. That means you're going to be listening to the voices that are right and pure and noble and, and, and good repute and, and praiseworthy. You're going to hear the other things, <coughs> but you're going to listen to the voice of Jesus, and you're going to expect the unexpected because Jesus is going to work if he's going to be the sinner, but he's going to do it in ways that will probably astound you. Which brings us to the final part then of making Jesus the very center that we see in Mark chapter 9. 
Kind of a long passage. Let me read it for you. Jesus here is going to cast out a demon. Here we go. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd. So again, what do we have? They were up on the transfiguration, and they saw Jesus, and, and uh, then they saw Moses and Elijah, the voices, listen to him. They come down and they say, but what about uh, Elijah? I thought he was supposed to come. Jesus said he did, and they went, oh, okay. Expect and expect. And now as they come down, they see the rest of the disciples. Great big crowd. Ready? They saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing about them? He asked a man and the a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has been robbed of speech. Whenever it sees him, it throws him on the ground. He foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And Jesus says, The whole unbelieving generation, stop. Why couldn't they do it? You're going to find out in just a moment. There's a reason. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Don't you get it yet? I've been here years, and you still don't get it. Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on the on us and help us. Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I love this. This, this guy is so honest and Jesus really appreciates honesty. If you could do anything, Jesus says, why did you bring him to me if you didn't really think I could? If? Oh, no, no. I know you can, but I I don't know that you can. I, I believe you, but I don't believe you. I trust you, but I don't trust you. I want to trust you, but I'm not there yet. Help me grow in my faith. Hmm. When Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed violently, and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. <coughs> but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Okay? Great story. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out with prayer. Now there it is. I don't know if you're yet beginning to see the connection between making Jesus center and what this has to do with keeping him center. We know we have to let go of the past, absolutely. We know that uh, we have to listen to the right voice of Jesus, absolutely. We know that He's going to do things in unexpected ways. Why is it that the disciples couldn't cast out this demon? You tell me. You got the story, okay? They're up there in the mountain. They come down, see the crowd. The guy says, look, I brought the disciples. They couldn't do it. And they're kind of arguing back and forth. And so why couldn't he do it? Okay, over here, why? What? Their belief was part of it. That's exactly right. Okay, very good. Yes, sir. What? Why don't you preach while I kind of go over this? It was simple. That's why he said, this type can only come out with prayer, which means what weren't they doing? They didn't pray, did they? They didn't say, Father, we need your help to get this done. They tried to do it in their own strength. 
I have been a disciple of Jesus for years. I know so much. Evil spirit, come out. Nothing happened. You see, they didn't have anything. Just because you're a disciple of Jesus Christ doesn't mean you have anything. You're not a better person. You're not a smarter person. You're not a holier person. Except for the power of Jesus in you. Jesus has already cast out lots of demons by this point in time. The problem here is the disciples are trying to do it without him. So here we go. The fourth way that I really need to make sure that I understand to keep Jesus center of my life is right here. Don't try to do life all on my own. Jesus will never, ever, 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 ever equip you, teach you, and train you to be successful without him. Sometimes what happens is our, our uh, metaphors of growing up in Jesus Christ kind of get in the way. Um, you know, when, when uh, my kids are growing up and I'm, when they're younger, of course, I'm far more important in their life and I solve their problems and they come for me advice and as they get older, they, they ask for less and less advice and they make more and more mistakes, which is that's the way it works. But eventually what happens is I want them to grow up because I help them grow up and be separate from me. It's called, this, um, we just want to make sure that, 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 that they differentiate from me because I, I can't be there all in all for their whole lives. Right now we've got some infants in here and, and uh, Ashley, you and Jeff are the all in all for that little one. Did you know that? Yes, yes, you did know that. You've learned that quickly. By the way, it's great to see you. I haven't had a chance to say hi to the little one. I'm not going to at the moment if you don't mind. That, that's okay. But you are their all in all. When they're 30, are you going to be their all in all? I hope not. Yeah. I hope that you teach this little one to grow up and differentiate and be separate. What happens is when we're talking about growing up in Jesus Christ, we think it does the same thing. What we'll do is we'll learn to pray, we'll learn to to read, we'll we'll understand, we'll have all this power in ourselves, we'll go out and we'll face life and we will get creamed. Creamed. Jesus will never, ever, ever give you the wisdom that you need to handle life all on your own. That's not the way it works. We will always be completely dependent for the power in our lives on a relationship with him and it won't be our power. He doesn't give me power separately. It's not that suddenly I become a powerful human being. What happens is I am filled with the power of God and the power of God is what I use to face life. Paul wanted so desperately to be completely whole and healthy. And he prayed to God, please make me whole and healthy. And this is what Jesus said to him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus just said, look, you know, you want to be strong on your own, and you don't understand. If I made you strong on your own, you wouldn't be strong. You'd be human strong. You want to be God strong? Why would you want to be human strong in this world? Don't you want to be God strong? Well, the only way to be God strong is to stay weak. Because if you stay weak, my power comes in. And then it's me that does it. If you'll let me. So Paul says, therefore I would rather boast more gladly about my weaknesses. Instead of my strengths, most of us want to boast about our strengths, the things we're going to do really well all on our own. That's human. 
Paul says, you know what I boast about? I boast about all the ways I need God every single day of my life. I boast about all the ways that I'm weak, all the ways that I'm broken, because that's where God comes in and helps me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. That's so unhuman. <laughs> in insults and hardships and persecution and difficulties for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I am weak, when I can come to God and say, I am weak in this point, I need your help, I need your help. Had they come and said, God, I need your help to drive out this demon, boom! They could have handled it. But they didn't. They said, I could do this on my own. And God said, okay, let's see you try. You do that? Oh, yeah. I can do this on my own, God. Okay, let's see you try. Give it a shot. That's when we fail. That's when we fail. That's why Paul could also write this. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can. If I'm called to, to cast out a demon, I can do that. Not because I have the power or the authority, or I, but because I am tapped into the power of God and he will do it through me. Can I face the issues in my life? Yeah. On my own? No. But with God's help, I can. So I want you to write this down and we're done. Ready? Here it is. Jesus is not my life's mentor. He is my life's power. And do you see the difference? You know what a mentor does? A mentor teaches, comes alongside, equips, and then finally says, you know what? You're on your own. You got it. Go get it done. Jesus will never, ever, ever do that for you. There is never going to come a point in time that he will look at you and say, I've taught you everything you need to know. You're on your own. Good luck. He will always be and continue to be not my life's mentor. And he is that. He teaches. He does those things. But he is my life's power. The things that I have to do, I do not because of my own wisdom, but because of what he's doing through me. The things I have to do, I do not by my own power, but by the power that he does. And when I'm open to that, as I'm able to let him move through me, I'm successful in life. Whenever I say to him, God, I got this one, I fail. Because he says, okay, let's see how you do. To make Jesus the center, the absolute center, I'm going to have to let go of the past, people. The past was fun. It was wonderful. Great. Love it. Thank you, Father. But it's gone. It's past. My best days are ahead, no matter where I am. I'm going to learn to listen, not just here, but to listen to that voice of God, which is that pure, noble, right, trustworthy, praiseworthy voice. I'm going to do all the things I've got to do to make Jesus the very center. Which means I'm going to expect the unexpected. He's going to work in ways that I probably just, just go, whoa! I can't believe you did that. I'm going to give him the right to do that. I'm going to do everything I've got to do to make him the very center of my life. I'm never going to grow up. I will always be a child of God. I'm not going to do life on my own because Jesus isn't just my mentor. He's my power. Jesus, thank you. We, we, <laughs> we're so human. 
There are times we just, we just want to do it on our own and we think that that's what you want us to do and grow up like our kids have grown up. And Father, it, it doesn't work that way. Jesus, we need you all the time. You are the voice we should be listening to. You've done great things, but you're going to continue to do things in ways that will just astound us and we're going to give you the, the right to do that. We're not going to get so caught up in the past and the past methods that we'll, we'll miss the new things you want to do. Our best days are ahead. We know that. And we want to thank you. But even more importantly, Father, forgive us for the times that we've tried to do life on our own. Our own power and understanding, thinking that you've taught us enough and we've learned enough and we've studied the Bible enough and we can do it on our own. And we never can, ever, ever, ever. We will always be helpless children before you. And Father, that's great news because when we can admit that, then your power is the power we use to face our life. And then, not only are we successful, but you get the glory for it all. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We're going to move into what we call our Selah time. Selah is our time that just says stop and think about it. Now, we talk about four things here today. The past and listening and the other things that we've talked about. Expecting the unexpected and making sure that he's the power. Is there something in your life maybe that God's been talking to you about that you need to let go. Maybe you really have been tied so much to the past that it's in the way of the future. I don't know. But we're going to give you a few moments to think about it. During this time, as the song is being sung, the altars are open if you come and want to pray. And then we will also serve communion. We serve what's called open communion here, which means you don't have to be a member. This could be your first time here, and you can receive the elements. Some people receive them every week. Others, not so often. That's fine. It's completely up to you. But over the next few moments, what is God saying? Here's your point, not just to hear him. So far you've been hearing. Listen, would those who are going to help me with communion come forward, please? And in the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and when he given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this cup is the new covenant. My blood shed for forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Let's move you two out over here. There you go. No, you're fine. Watch out. Don't want you to trip. Good job. Excellent. For as often as you do eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you remember the Lord's death till he come again. Let's pray. Father, this is your time to speak to us. We're going to give you that time. Help us to listen in the name of Jesus. Amen.